You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Today, we are going to be continuing uh, the series that we began just last week that we're calling uh, Come and See. And uh, in this series, we're teaching on what Jesus is like, what he's like. And the reason we're doing that is because, well, one, Jesus is awesome, but also because the very first and foremost step of an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus is to be with Jesus. But what will cause us to want to be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to follow Jesus? Well, it's, it's knowing what he's like, because what we believe and really what I have experienced myself is that when you come to really know what Jesus is like, you are moved to want to be with him, to follow him, to spend time with him. And so in this uh, series, we're doing something kind of fun to help us know what he's like. We are, uh, during the week, we're watching in our midtown communities or our small groups that meet during the week, we're watching this show called The Chosen. And if you haven't heard of The Chosen, it's a TV series that's all on the life of Jesus and his followers. And I just tell you, guys, it's, it's so good. It's so good. And I don't like Christian media normally. And so like I'm, I'm usually very biased against that. And yet here it's just so, so, so good because it's just biblically in a really accurate and also beautiful, compelling way captures the disposition and the heart of Jesus. And so we're watching this TV series during the week with our small groups. And then on Sunday mornings, we're teaching from the gospel accounts of Jesus' life in a way that dovetails with the past week's Jesus is episode. And all of that, we're doing all of that to help us see what Jesus is like. So we will want to be with Jesus, but that's how we become like Jesus. And we do what Jesus did, which all leads to Austin becoming a lot more like heaven, which is what we're about as a church. So that's the big idea of the series. That's what we're doing. Now, if you're here and you're like, okay, well, I, I haven't been watching The Chosen, so should I leave because, I, you know, am I going to be left out here? No, don't, don't go anywhere, all right? Because uh, in a minute, I'm actually going to show you a clip from this past week's episode. And my hope is that as you see this, maybe it'll pique your interest enough to start watching this along with us. But uh, before I show you that clip, I want to just kind of set it up and preview where I'm going this morning. Because here's where we're going. We're going to look at the heart of Jesus. And when I say heart, I'm using heart in a biblical sense. Because in the Bible, our heart isn't just our seat of emotions. That's usually how we talk about the heart in you know, not modern-day vernacular. In the Bible, it is the seat of our emotions, but it's also the seat of our rationality and our logic, our, our, our loves and our desires. Like it's, it's this whole, it's the heart is really what drives and directs you. To the point that in Proverbs 4, right, we're told that above all else, guard our hearts because everything we do flows from it. So we're going to know who Jesus is of Jesus, which is a pretty astounding thing. Like what is the core of who Jesus is that drives and directs him? And we're going to do that by going to the passage that Bryce read, but also by looking at this clip. Because in this clip, um, what we have is Jesus showing up at Mary Magdalene's house to, to have dinner with her, specifically her and her friends, the Shabbat or Sabbath dinner. 
And that's a big deal because in this show, and we saw last episode, and then we read about it in Luke chapter 8, Justin taught on this last week, but Mary Magdalene had been demon-possessed. And so she, uh, this is the first time she's hosting the Shabbat dinner. And she invites some of her ostracized friends, people who like didn't have any other place to go for Shabbat dinner. She invites them. She doesn't know what she's doing. And they, it's just this, like a ragtag group of people. And, and yet, that's the people that Jesus shows up to have dinner with. That he gravitates towards them. That he moves towards them. And you think, why? why? It's because it's in line with his heart. And I want you to see that. So here, let's just watch this clip. Mary. Come in. I'm so glad you came. Oh, thank you, Miss Mary. This is a fine place. Oh, thank you. Are we on? Is it still on? Shula, how did you find us? I followed that mule, Barnaby. <laughs> Not that he waited. Looking as handsome as ever, Barnaby. <laughs> Lucky guess, Shula. <laughs> Is this the place? If Mary's here, it is. Do I know you? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm James. This is Thaddeus. We were told this would be a good place to come. We can leave if it's awkward. Oh, oh no, oh, please come in. You're most welcome here. So, can we help? Oh, no. Well, uh, yes, I... I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you see, fool, that's a victory. If I'm not doing something or doing something wrong, you tell me. Oh, nonsense. It's already great. Can't remember the last time I was invited to Shabbat dinner. Me, never. you never been to Shabbat? Of course I've been to one. Been to lots. Just never got invited. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the extra seat for? Well, uh, for Elijah. Am I right? I, I remember my mother always setting an extra place for Elijah. That's only for Passover. Just once a year at Seder. When Seder comes, I'll have a head start on setting up. Can I read it for you, Mary? Stop it, Barnaby. I read better than you. Yeah. My father taught me. Very impressive. <sighs> uh, oh, uh, is the first star out? Yes, let's eat. Like I said, you are very popular. Or it's a Pharisee here to shut us down for letting you be here. Hello, Mary. Hello. It's good to see you. Yes. Yes. I don't want to be rude, but would it be okay if, if I... Oh, yes, of course. Please come in. I just never thought you'd... Um, uh, I have guests here. Uh, this is my first time. I don't know what I'm doing. Rabbi. Rabbi. You already know these men? They are students of mine. I trust they have been polite. Of course. Your guests can take the seat. Yes, Mary? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes, of course. Please have a seat. And I told, keep saying of course a lot. <laughs> um, Francis is the man I told you about who um, 
You helped me. Oh, yes, yeah. Mary told us so much about you. Oh, I hope not too much. I'm Barnaby. This is Shula. She is blind. Ah. In case you couldn't tell. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I don't actually know your name. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. Well, apparently something good can come from Nazareth. <laughs> well. Mary, I'm honored to be here. Why don't you begin? Oh, no, I, I couldn't now that you are here. You must. Thank you, but this is your home. And I would love for you to do it. Okay. I'll just, uh, I'll just read from this now. All right. She goes on to lead the Shabbat dinner. Uh, I love that clip. The... Here's why I wanted to show this to you. It's because uh, that, that whole scene is actually extra biblical. Like the, the, the writers of uh, The Chosen made that up. Like we don't see that account in the Bible. And so here's the question. It's like, why would they make that up? Why would they think that Jesus would uh, go to Mary's house for Shabbat dinner, as opposed to say Nicodemus's house. If you'd seen the episode, you see that there, you know, everyone was celebrating Shabbat, and at some of those places, it was really nice. All the religious, most important people were at Nicodemus's and eating off the gold plates and the nice rugs and all of that stuff. Like, why not have Jesus there? Why have him at Mary's with, you know, Barnaby and Shuma and this ragtag group of ostracized people? Why do they think that Jesus would go to her house? Well, it's because of what Jesus tells us about his heart in the passage that Bryce read for us a minute ago in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Let me uh, read that for us again. Um, the, uh, the lights, y'all want to get the lights back on? It's, I don't want y'all to fall asleep. I, 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 like, I, I'm going to try to be entertaining for you. I'm going to try to capture your attention, but I don't know if I'm that good, like just to set the mood. All right, there we go. Great. Okay. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Here we go. Come to me, Jesus is speaking, he says, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am, here it is, gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now here, friends, Jesus says something about his own heart and we are wise to pay attention to it. For this the only time in all of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus tells us what his heart is like. What drives and directs him. The essence, the core of who he is. And the two words he uses to describe it are gentle and humble. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And now, I don't know about you, but like I, I, I am blown away by that and also confused. Because <laughs> I know it's super significant that those are the two words that he would use. And yet at the same time, I'm like, okay, but what does that even mean? That you're gentle and humble at heart. And who would use those as the two words to really describe the essence of who you are that drives and directs you? I mean, that's those, I don't even, I don't get it, Jesus. What is, what is gentle and humble heart even? What are you getting at? 
Well, the, the word gentle that Jesus uses here is the Greek word praus, and it, it is a phrase that can't, or it's a word that can be translated both gentle or meek. In fact, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's the same word there, praus, meek, or gentle, which I don't know if that, that helps. Someone were to call Jesus getting at when he says he's gentle and humble at heart. It's still confusing to me. Like, because if someone were to call me gentle and, and meek, um, I don't even know if I would take that as a compliment, right? Like, it's like, like, well, I'd have to read their tone to know if they're like being nice or if they're like, you know, calling me weak. Because usually that's the, the that's what we associate those words with is the, the idea of weakness. But what's interesting is that in the First century, this, this Greek word prose, it, it didn't mean weak. It actually was used to, to refer to horses, wild horses that had been trained, and therefore all of their passion and power was under control for the good of others. And Jesus says, that's what my heart is like. The king of the universe who spoke creation in existence, the almighty, all-powerful one, says, that's, I, I'm gentle, I'm I'm meek. I am power under control for the good of others. You know what that means? He's saying that he isn't overbearing. He isn't forceful or manipulative or harsh. He doesn't use his power to get his way. That he is not easily angered. He is not trigger happy. When Barnaby makes that slight on him about, oh, something good can come from Nazareth. I love it. I, I think accurately Jesus responds by smiling and winking at him. Power under control, not trigger happy. Jesus' posture is not a pointed finger. It's not a raised fist. It's, a, it's open arms. It's gentle in heart. Warm, kind, gentle. And he's humble in heart. Humble in heart. Dane Ortland in his excellent book, on the heart of Jesus, entitled Gentle and Lowly, which I could not more highly recommend. And in fact, I loved it so much that I ordered a whole case of that book for our church. They were actually giving them away if you ordered a case for them at the right time. And I was like on it, right? Because I was like, we need this. And so we have this, we have this book for you today. If you will read it, it's yours for free. One per household, because you know we want everyone who wants one to be able to get one. But we'd love to give you that Today, it's an incredible book on the heart of Jesus. But in that book, Dane Orland makes this observation about Jesus saying that he's humble in heart. What he says that means is that the word, he uses the word humble not as a virtue, not like humility, but actually as a state of being, like of humble estate. That he's saying, that Jesus is saying that he is of humble estate. It's the same word that the apostle Paul uses in Romans 12, verse 16, when he says, uh, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That's the word. Referring to those that are socially unimpressive. And amazingly, Jesus says, hey, that's what I'm like. That's what my very heart is like. See, friends, here, here's what I'm trying to help you see. The reason why Jesus would share the Shabbat dinner with the people at Mary's house is because they were his type of people. See, Jesus gravitates towards the lowly because he's lowly in heart. And friends, that's why Jesus is so incredibly approachable and accessible, inclusive, 
and inviting, warm and kind. See, being humble in heart means he doesn't look down on anyone. The one who is supremely better than us does not relate to us as if he is better than us. How wild is that? I didn't think, I don't know, is that really true? It's Jesus himself who says, I did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. King of kings does not come for you to treat him as he deserves, but treat us as we don't deserve. He's humble and lowly in heart. It's amazing. To quote Dane Ortland from the book, he says it this way. He says, For all of his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. You don't have to measure up to come to him. There are no prerequisites, no hoops to jump through in order to draw near to him. See, in a world that is so fixated on self-promotion and likes and views on social media, improving our worth and getting noticed and especially getting noticed by the right people, Jesus stands out like a breathtaking anomaly. He's the king of kings, and yet he's having Shabbat dinner at Mary's house and encouraging her to do the honor of leading it. So approachable, so accessible, so warm and kind, even towards, or perhaps better put, especially towards the marginalized, the lowly, those of humble estate, because he himself is gentle and humble in heart. Now let me ask you, um, does that fit your description of Jesus? The one that you have in your head? Is that what you think of when you think of what Jesus is like? See, for a very a long time, I had a very inaccurate view of Jesus. See, I viewed him as being cold and demanding towards me. Arms crossed, you know, shaking his head in disgust. See, I'm, I am keenly aware of my flaws, the areas of my life I know that I'm falling short. I'm not keeping up my, my sins, my failures, all, all of that stuff. And so I figure, like, if I'm keenly aware of it, Jesus is keenly aware of it. He must look at that and just be, like, disgusted. Or at, or at best, maybe at best, because I know he's gracious, so at best he, he, he can put up with me, but he doesn't enjoy me. Can you relate with that view of Jesus? Friends, this is why we need a Bible. This is why we need God to reveal what he is like. Because he is so much better than we dare hope or dream. He's gentle and humble in heart. That's what Jesus is like. He's not put off by those who don't measure up and don't have it all together. Instead, he is drawn to people like that like Mary, and like Shuma, like Barnaby, and like me and you, because that's his type of people. Which makes sense why in Matthew 11, 
the invitation, those that he invites to come to him are what? They're the weary and burdened, right? It's not the ones who have it all together. He's not like, hey, I'm just looking for the ones who really like made it and arrived and I've got. No, he's like, no, co- no, come to me, those of low state. Come to me, those who are weary and, and burdened. Weary just means meaning people, uh, people who are working hard to prove or achieve something, but are afraid they don't measure up or they can't keep up. Like his inv- invitation is to the tired and the burned out and the stressed out, and the behind on your to-do list, reaching for that next cup of coffee just to try to keep up, you know? Can you all, again, can you relate with that? Yeah, probably so. And his invitation is also anxious, meaning people weighed down, overwhelmed, anxious, and discouraged by the expectations and hardships and just the baggage of life. That's who he calls to come to him. That's who he invites That's who he wants to be with, people like you and like me, the weary and burdened. And look at what he offers us. Rest. Rest for your souls. I can't think of a more gentle offer than that. Like when I'm I'm exhausted, right, and usually on Sunday afternoons, and Christus comes to me, my wife comes to me and says, hey, hey, I can tell you're so tired. Why don't you take a nap? Why don't you take a break? Like, I got the kids, go and rest, which, um, like, my wife so often, she actually does that quite often. And when she says that to me, I fall in love all over again. Because, like, it's, like, the nicest thing that someone can say to you, right? It's just so loving. Like, go, take a break. I want to give you rest. It's like, yes, I love you, right? Well, that's what Jesus is like. That's what Jesus says here. Come to me. So I can give you a to-do list. Come to me so I can, no, 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 no. Come to me so what? So I can give you rest. Rest for your souls. Hmm. That's what Jesus is like. Now, as I said, and the, uh, the whole idea of this, this uh, series is that uh, we're trying to help you see what Jesus is like so that you will want to be with him. So that you will want to follow him, spend time with him, because that's how we become like him. And that's how we enjoy him. And that's how we also do what he did. And I, friends, I hope that as you hear that this is what Jesus is like, it moves you to want to lean in, to want to be with him. And as I'll tell you from personal experience, like when I know what I'm living in light of who Jesus really is, when I see who he is in scripture, it moves me because he is incredible. He's gentle and humble in heart. So let's just say, and I'll, I'll assume, maybe I'm wrong here, but let's just assume that all of you are like, okay, that Jesus sounds amazing. That's really what he's like. Then, yes, I want to come and be with him. I, I want to take him up on his invitation to come to him. But how do you actually do that? How do you come to Jesus to be able to receive his rest? Because it's not like we're in first century Israel right now when Jesus is saying this. And you're like, okay, come to him. Okay, I guess I'll just walk over to you, Jesus. Like, you know, you know it's not that easy. So what does it look like for us to actually take Jesus up on his invitation and come to him that we can find rest, rest for our souls. Well, oh, he actually tells us. He tells us right here in this passage. Here's what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, which isn't what I would expect him to say after offering us 
to offering to give us rest, right? Because a yoke is this heavy crossbar that uh, connects oxen together as they drag a plow through a field, as you can see. I tried to pick a pretty picture of oxen dragging a plow through the field, but it's still hard work, right? That doesn't look like rest. That looks like work, like hard work. So Jesus says, come, come. You want to come to me? I'll give you rest. Here, take my yoke. It's like, well, that, that, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? Well, let me tell you what he's talking about. He wasn't talking literally, of course. He wasn't like handing out yokes. Uh, He he was using a a very common Hebrew idiom or figure of speech that rabbis would use in that day and age to talk about their way of understanding God's law, the Torah, and therefore their way of knowing how to live. That a rabbi's yoke was basically their understanding of how to live, how to be human. It was a way of Jesus saying, hey, come to me and adopt my lifestyle. Take my way of living you, and you will find rest, rest for your souls. It's a way that Jesus says, my yoke is easy and it's light because I know how to shoulder the weight of life well, and I want to help you do that. I love what uh, Del Brunner says when commenting on this passage. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, right? Can I get an amen? Not a yoke. Jesus realizes that the most restful gift, however, Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry that life a fresh way to bear the responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. So instead of offering escape, Jesus offers us equipment. Specifically, friends, the equipment that he offers us is his life and his lifestyle. Here's what I mean by that. See, the first way that we come to Jesus is by believing that Jesus gave his life for us. For when we believe that on the cross, Jesus bore the burden of our sin, our failure to ever measure up fully to God's perfect standard, and we believe that he on the cross, died in our place to forgive our sin and reconcile us to God, we are in that moment not just forgiven, not just reconciled to God, but we are also gifted Jesus' righteousness, meaning his perfect record or his perfect resume. Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul will put it in this way in Ephesians 1. He says, because of that, we are holy and blameless, that we fully measure up in Christ in the eyes of God, and therefore, you know what that enables? Rest. It enables you to rest. Because you don't have to toil in order to measure up, you've been gifted that. 
It's the gift of Jesus. Jesus has given you something that no one and nothing can ever give you. enabled you soul rest. However, I know that many of us, not all of us in this room, but many of us have come uh, to Jesus through faith, believing that he died for you, accepting his life for you and his righteousness, and yet you still feel very weary and you still feel very burdened. You do not feel like you have received the rest of Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, I think that there are at least two really big reasons for why. The first is that we often fail to fully grasp that we've been granted Jesus' righteousness. And so we still feel driven to prove ourselves. And so we're not living in light of the gospel, which is why I talk often on Sundays about the importance of rehearsing, remembering the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and who you are as a result. Because we forget that, and when we forget that, we fail to live in light of the reality of what we have in him. The rest that we have been given him, the equipment of his life in order to be at rest. We forget it. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to remember it. We need to build into our days times where we remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we are as a result. But there's also another reason why many of us fail to experience the rest of Jesus. And that is because we uh, downplay or just straight out disregard the other piece of equipment, if you will, that Jesus has given us, that being his lifestyle. See, uh, implicit in the idea of the yoke was the invitation to travel through life, at Jesus' side, learning from his pace and his practices so that you will begin, your life will begin to take the shape of his life. See, when we read the stories of Jesus in the gospel accounts and we see his, his joy and his peace, even when facing difficulty and hardships, and we see his unanxious presence and his unhurried pace and his loving kindness and just how present he was in the moment. It's natural to think, man, I want to be like that. I want that kind of life. I want to be like Jesus. How does that happen? Where do I learn how to live that way? Jesus says, here's how. Here's where you learn. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Like I will teach you the best way to be human. Stay and step with me. That's the picture of the yoke. That's also the call in Galatians 5, to stay and step with the Spirit so that what? The fruit of the Spirit will be born out in our life. We stay and step with Jesus. We adopt his pace and his practices because it's in his lifestyle that we learn how to live in this nonstop conscious enjoyment of God's presence. And it's in his lifestyle we learn how to rest and we learn when to rest. And we learn how to be present and how to be at peace. See, Jesus says, take up my yoke, adopt my lifestyle, and you will find rest for your soul. For why? Because I am gentle 
and humble in heart. But sadly, and, and friends, really, like to our great detriment, most of us do not even attempt to adopt Jesus' pace and practices. That instead, we operate as if following uh, Jesus only consists of believing the right things and avoiding doing the wrong things. All the while letting a culture set our pace and form our habits. And then we lament that we aren't experiencing the rest that Jesus has on offer. Well, of course we're not, right? See, in the business world, there's this saying that goes like this. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Have you heard that before? Now, usually that's applied, right, to widgets and, like, bottom line, right? But I think it applies to life as a whole. For, it's what, uh, for, for if what's being produced in your life are things like constant anxiety and mild depression and high levels of stress and emotional burnout and weariness and exhaustion, then the odds are very good that something about the system that is your life is off kilter. That there's something unhealthy about the way that you have organized your days or your weekly schedule or your relationship to your phone or to your TV or how you are managing your resources of time, money, and attention. See, every lifestyle is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. So what do you do about that? Well, Jesus says... Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, begin to practice the way that I live, adopting my lifestyle, and you'll find rest. Now, before I wrap up, I just want to give you one kind of handle of what that could potentially look like for you. And uh, to do that, I'm going to kind of connect all this back to this last week's uh, episode of The Chosen, because um, a great way to begin taking up Jesus' yoke and uh, adopting the pra- his practice, his practices, is to begin with the practice of Sabbath. See, and I don't just make that connection because The Chosen episode, but it's actually there in the book of Matthew. For Matthew makes that connection for us. The very next sentence that follows Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is chapter 12, verse 1. But you got to remember, the chapter breaks, the verses, they're not there when Matthew was writing. Like, it's just, it's just one sentence, next sentence, and the next sentence is this. After, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he says, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And in fact, what follows, and you keep reading in chapter 12, is two stories about Jesus on the Sabbath. And Matthew connects Jesus' invitation to come to him that you would find rest for your souls to the Sabbath. It's part of the way that Jesus lived. It was a part of his lifestyle. And of course, this makes sense that rest, his Sabbath, would be connected because we get the word Sabbath from the Hebrew word Shabbat that literally means to what? To stop. It means to stop. It means to stop all work, not just your job work, but your housework. It just means to stop so you can rest, be refreshed, and enjoy God and his good gifts. Jesus practiced the Sabbath every seventh day. 
It was a part of his lifestyle. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Could it be that that would mean that we too would begin to practice Sabbath? Now, in the church world, there's a big debate, you know, and just kind of pull back the curtains and like, is Sabbath a command? Are we still supposed to keep the Sabbath? Because I don't know if you know this, but it's actually one of the Ten Commandments, which is a big deal because it's the only spiritual discipline that's actually commanded in the Ten Commandments, which I don't know, maybe we should pay attention to that. But the other, what it is a sense of like, it doesn't matter if it's still a command or not. What it is, is a helpful practice to help us follow the way of Jesus and find rest for our souls. That Sabbath is a gift from God to us. It's a way that Jesus lived. And as we follow him, I think we find rest. Oh, could it be that if we began to practice Sabbath, we would feel more restful? And, and, and here, could it, could it be that because Jesus gave his life for us, that we actually have the ability, we've been enabled to stop working in order to practice Sabbath because the pressure of having to prove our worth is no longer there? That through the equipment that Jesus has given us, both his life and lifestyle, he frees us and teaches us how to rest. Friends, are you weary and burdened? Come to him. Take on his yoke and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this idea. It's changing our pace to where we actually practicing the way that Jesus lived. Okay? But for right now, here's what I want to encourage you to chew on. This week, I just want you to think about what would it look like for you to actually adopt Jesus' lifestyle, even just beginning with this one practice of Sabbath. Maybe you're not ready for a whole day, 24-hour period of time where you stop everything, but what if you built in a time of a half day where you stop and you put away work and you just enjoy God and the gifts, that, the good gifts he's given you. And you, in practicing the way of Jesus, start finding some rest. Just chew on that. Think about that. What would it look like? Perhaps if you're really like type A, go for it, right? For the rest of y'all, maybe just like, all right, well, let me just contemplate that. Maybe talk about that with a friend. But here's the thing. This is Jesus' invitation. And it's an invitation. It's not a command. It's not you have to do this. He says, no, come to me. I invite you to do this. Why? Because I'm gentle and humble at heart. I'm not using my power to make you. I'm inviting you. But I want you to have rest for your souls. And so the question for us is, will you take him up on his offer? Will you take him up on his offer? Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.